That one's for Nick and Matt Baisley. We're talking crap on our Instagram posts. Screw you both, you know? We don't even want you guys as listeners anymore. This is a great song. <laughs> great song. I, it's just a point now, okay, that we like it, so we're going to keep playing it. Like right? we've said, like, we're not diehard Nickelback fans, but the song is catchy, and, like, it gets me in the zone to do this podcast. Every time. If I hear that song come on, guess what time it is? It's podcast time. So you know what? That's for Nick and Matt. Yeah. It's here to stay. Here's the thing, they probably already skipped through all this. So yeah, already... Matt's probably not even going to hear this part. <laughs> and Nick's going to post about it and just talk crap about it. Yeah, probably. Man, that's what good friends do, you know? Yeah. That's what good friends do. So, James, show number nine. Yeah, welcome, everybody. Show number nine. We're almost at show ten. Almost there. Double digits soon. We got a uh, a new, um, what do you call it? Recording device. Recording device thing, software. <laughs> we, up, software. we upgraded our software. Yeah, so we're hoping this is going to be maybe not a little better this time, but in the future, it's going to help us be better. So... We can actually see our sound levels now. Because I apparently we found out that I always talk really quietly, so now I can see that I need to talk louder. But people might say I talk too loud. Maybe you talk perfect. Maybe that's – I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But show nine, we got Jason Carnes on the show today as our premier guest. Yeah. Excited to have him because he has some of the best stories of all the people in BMX. That's yep. real. He's yep. been around for a long time. You know him really well. Yep. Yeah. So this will be fun. And obviously you got you got to know him better these last few years with the Berm Academy and hanging out at the races yeah. with Answering S Squared and Claiborne and stuff. There's nothing more fun than going to hang out with his rig. He's always like grilling something up. He's around. He's doing something. He's always in good spirits. It's a blast. Can you think of someone more liked or respected in like the USA BMX industry? Honestly. He's the most, probably the most popular guy. He is. Who the, doesn't like, love like Jason? Like all the riders love to go hang out with him, you know, chat shit with him. You know, the riders want to be part of the Berm Academy. The moms love him. <laughs> he's a so. fan favorite, male and female, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's my team manager at Redline for many years, and we got a lot of funny stories. And um, he's got a lot of experience in the industry. He was He's a multi-time vet pro champ. He was a team manager at Redline for many years. He now runs his own business with the Berm Academy. So, I mean, what better of a person to um, talk BMX experience? Yeah, I'm excited because he's traveled the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know his like I don't know him from his BMX racing days, so I'm really interested to hear about that side of things. But also then how he became the Redline guy and now the Berm Academy guy. Like how did he start these different things? What gave him the idea to start them? So yeah, he's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, he does. So should we get to the first in- little intro point here? I wrote down for today. Let's show? see it, James. All right. So I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were talking about social media and how uh, mainly you know pop stars and stuff they gain so much of a following that they have to basically change their image to cater to their following in a respectful manner. In the sense that they basically, no matter who you were before, no matter what you would like to you'd say, how you speak, how rude you are, like that kind of thing, because they become so famous, they have to change their ways and be a more respectful person online to make sure they're not um, basically saying anything too <coughs> vulgar for any kids that are you know listening. They can't even be themselves. They're just walking on eggshells. Exactly. So that's what my I was kind of thinking. Like at what point, like where do you draw the line for being yourself on social media or catering to your audience that may be a younger, you know, younger generation. It's hard. Like I couldn't even imagine, like, obviously we have decent amount of Instagram followers, whatever, but like, I couldn't even imagine being someone like, for instance, John Mayer having millions or like Kevin Hart. Like you can't even do anything without people judging. So I don't know, like walk on eggshells. And it's kind of sad because stuff gets taken out of context. People just look for stuff to Mm -hmm. bash them with. Like, why? Why do people want to bring them down so bad? No, I don't know. I don't get it. And it's, I, I feel like, yeah, you, people that want you to be yourself online, they want you to just be your authentic and not post like stupid pictures all the time. And then as soon as you start being yourself and maybe being, you know, 
showing a little normal, <laughs> a little normal self, just joking around. Maybe they're not like the uh, cleanest jokes, but I mean, then people start getting mad at you. So it's like, where do you draw the line between you know trying to keep everybody happy? And a lot of time, the stuff people are being judged for, we all do. Yeah. We all swear. We all like make jokes. We all I don't know yeah. talk shit. Like, yeah, I don't know. And that's why it's like I don't. Like, I know where's that line? Because at the end of the day, if the kid's on social media, then he's going to be seen a lot more than I don't know than what we're posting. Yeah, I know. So. Like when I first came into Elite or when I first started doing interviews when I was I don't know junior or whatever first year Elite, like I was trying to be so straight edge. I had no. I didn't know how to like. I've always been pretty relaxed and like like to joke around, as you know, and like have fun and laugh a lot and whatever. But I didn't know how to how to be like that. I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. I didn't want any sponsors to be upset. I didn't want to upset anyone or whatever. So mm-hmm. I didn't know how to bring that personality across or through social media or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kept it super straight edge and basic. And I like I'd say probably just the last couple of years on social media, whether it's like commenting or posts, I try and be have my personality shine through a bit while still being respectful and not you know swearing or whatever a ton um but i think people like you to be real yeah i don't think i don't think us all being polished you know like poster boys is necessarily the best way to do it like i think you can be a you know a good spokesperson for yourself and the brands you represent whatever but still show your own character and personality because that's why that's why people have friends because people have good personalities Exactly. And I feel like if you, you be too straight edge all the time, people are going to see right through it's that. It's boring. People know it's fake. Oh, yeah. They always do. Like, we don't want to see, like, oh, I'm going to the track. Felt great today. Like, right. tell us something. Give us something interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like, let some personality tell us shine a story. through. Tell us something funny that happened. Uh, I feel like we're kind of getting into the rant here. We are. But it's it's hard because I know a lot of people are shy. And, like, I'm naturally kind of shy. Um, but I don't know. There's... I, th- I want to know the people I follow. For instance, if I follow like motocross guys or celebrities I look up to, I want to see like them at home with their dog or like tell us like what you did on your Sunday. I don't know. Like yeah. we know we know you train. Yeah, we know you're going to be on the dirt bike or your yeah. bike. Hey, what what else do you do? I know. What are the other fun things. I know. Um, it's hard though because you don't want to. Every if you do post something personal, you open yourself up to criticism. That's true. And the more follows you have, the more times people can kind of bash you. But the at some point, you just got to kind of be like, fuck it. I'm just going to be myself. Yeah. No, exactly. You know? Yeah. And so I've kind of learned to do that more the last couple of years, but it's not, it's, it's hard to find, you know, kind of where to fit. Yeah, exactly. I find myself too. Like I get kind of boring on social media because I know like I, I want to post stuff like BMX related for sponsors and stuff. That's what yeah, I ask you yeah, to do. Yeah. So then I end up just kind of running out of ideas sometimes and I just post lame photos. I think people can tell. Nobody likes them because, you know, <laughs> let's be real. They know it's just faking around here. So nobody likes them. And I, even I'm like, well, why did I post that? Like, yeah. I'd much rather post something, you know, that I really enjoy or, you know, like your divot. You're just playing golf. Oh, like, it was a sick divot, of course. Eh? That was um, huge. I know. So, but, yeah. We, how good was our golf game Sunday? Side note, dude, our golf game was solid on Sunday. We were surgeons with the club, let me tell you. We both shot in the 80s we and we both left a lot of putts out there. Let me tell you, we both could have <laughs> shot low 80s or around 80 probably. Oh, yeah. If I took away that one hole I got an eight on? Yeah. Yeah, that was... And I'm just going to brag for both of us. There's a par four over water, and we drove the green. James actually overshot the green with his driver. I don't think we've ever been that excited <laughs> on the course before. We were hyped in the cart. Going to the green, knowing we drove the green on a par four. It was hyped. badass. Oh, it was sick. Oh. We're going we're gonna to break into 70 this year. Oh, hell yeah. We we're going to break into yeah. 70 this year. It's a good thing nobody saw the hole before then when I said I got the No, eight. no, no. It's just fine. <laughs> no, we don't need to tell me they put two balls in the water <laughs> off the tee. It's fine. Try to clear the water. Put two in the water. Yeah. Um, we had one, one more thing we wanted to touch on, didn't we? 
down. Let's get. Oh, the iPad check. went black. Yeah, that's all right. Oh, social media check-in for the week. Oh, social media check-in. So you want to do this one? I'll intro it. So we saw on social media, uh, Sylvan posted about it and saw it on the Explore page and a few other people. The French girls jump in the pro set in Dude, Paris. sick. Right? Straight up. Yeah, that was it was badass. And that's not even that easy of a pro section, really. The second one's peaky as hell. No, exactly. Yeah. And we saw Laura do it a little while ago, back when they had yeah. a training camp there. And I'm pretty sure these girls are young as well. Like some of them, they're probably 18. Yeah. So I thought that was really badass. And I just thought of this the other day, kind of funny. Um, like the... I feel like obviously uh, it's a male dominant sport. There's way more men in the sport than women, and um, um, the, a lot of the time the progression of the men's side of things gets uh, talked about more. But holy crap! Like, look at the look at the women's progression. They're jumping pro sections now. Ten years ago, a lot of them were struggling to do the first jump, and now they're jumping pro sections. Dude, unbelievable! So hats off to all the elite women. Like the whole level is being insanely raised, and it's so cool to see. It's, it, it's right, so it's, cool to see. It's badass. It is badass. I wouldn't even say that's an easy pro set to do like you said either. No, it's hard. Sure I remember we were going there last year. Like, it's pretty technical. A little yeah. tiny one, up one, and then a big one. It's yeah. Like, yeah. So, wow, it's it's very impressive. And I think that to progress women's sport in general and action sport, I think it's to- completely sick. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Badass ladies. So we got, um, actually, we got a second guest coming on quickly for the introduction to talk about a series he's putting on, Kyle Gress. Yeah, Kyle Gress is coming on to... Talk about his programs he's going to be putting on. Right? Yeah, so Kyle's putting on a, a series in California. We're going to get him on the line here so he can tell us about it. So on the line here, we got Kyle Grass to tell us about a series he's got going on in California right now. How's it going, Kyle? Pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good. good. Thanks for coming on. So, uh, yeah, we just wanted to spend a couple time, couple minutes with you here and uh, tell us about what you got going on. So I'm basically trying to put a pro-only series together, sort of in the form of uh, like a much how supercross comes to town and everybody gets stoked on the pros and um that's that's pretty much my goal is i want to get kids stoked on pros again because um, i remember being a kid myself and going to the races and big daddy was in a speed stick rig giving out deodorant and i was pumped <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's awesome what you're doing do you have uh, any tracks on board or what's the deal with it so, so far, um, initially the series was supposed to be a five-race series. Um, it's, it's looking like I might, the first the first uh, series will probably be a three-race series, just to kind of get our feet wet. Yep. But um, so far, I've got Bakersfield, um, the Mirandas have uh, signed on with it. Uh, I talked to Tyler Brown with Chula Vista. He's, uh, he's in for it, and uh, we're still looking for the one last track for the third stop but um you know we'll get we'll get there yeah that's awesome man um where you where do you get like the prize money from or like the the funding for it kind of thing (laughs) well so basically the way i'm gonna do it is like i said this is a pro only series so um it's gonna be very very similar to supercross as far as we're going to have uh, pit parties where you can pay your $5, get your pit ticket, walk through, get your autographs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, obviously, uh, we're going to try to get some sponsors to, you know, handle some money situation for the purses. And uh, other than that, um, we're going to sell tickets to the actual event. Uh, it's not going to be much. It's going to be like 10 15 bucks per person. But, obviously, that all accumulates. And then rider entry fees will go towards the purse. Um uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously if we don't have as much money as I anticipate, then uh, it's going to come from my <laughs> my own pocket. Dude, I think, that's, I think that's awesome you're doing that. Like, 
I think that's what our sport needs is a pro-only series like that. Um, what are you going to do kind of on the promotional side to promote it in the places you're, you're at? Well, I have some really good connections with, uh, you know, cinematographers and stuff like that. So I, it, it really helps me in the fact that obviously I know a lot of pros and we can put together a really good um, promo video for the series. Um, obviously, it's going to be published all over local Facebook, wherever the event's going to be held. And uh, I'm going to try to do some radio time with the local stations and just get it aware that this is what's coming to town. And then just uh, we're going to sell tickets online, um, I believe, through a company called Vivid Tickets or Vivid Seats or something like that. And um, they're going to promote it as well within. So I think it's going to be good for everything. I mean, good for the pros, good for the sport in general, because, you know, people that have never heard of BMX are going to come and uh, check it out. Dude, I think that's awesome. What do you think, James? No, it's really cool. It's cool to hear you're doing something kind of like Supercross where the fans have time to come see the pros, talk to them, get autographs, and that's separate from the actual racing event. I think that's a really smart way to do it. That's great. I, I mean, being in, being in the sport as long as I have, I remember being a kid, and I, I just feel like for some reason, at some point, we kind of lost touch of, of the pros and the pro racing. Right now, if I go to a pro race and I bring my son – I, I don't even know when the pros race. I have no idea when you guys go up for your first round, for your second round, for semi. Like, somebody will say, oh, it's after cruisers. <laughs> All right, what, what mode are they on? Like, I don't know. I just feel like it should be a more secluded gig where it's something that we can look forward to and, you know, just be fans again. No, I agree. And um, I thought that for a while, and I think it all it takes is someone, someone like yourself to take a chance on it and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody else is more, more than welcome to do it, too, or, or you know, jump on board with me and, and uh, be a part of it. But it's just, just one person has to get it going, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, well, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate your time, and uh, we hope that the series does well. And I think from a writer's standpoint, for it to work, I think we all need to help you promote it as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Have thanks, a good Kyle, one. Appreciate it. See you later. You, too. Later. I think that's really cool what Kyle's doing. That's awesome, yeah. It's cool to see him putting on something, a pro-only series. It's badass. There's no reason we can't have that. No, we can't, no. No. Yeah, so. You know who's a huge fan of pros, James? Who? And, like, them, like, skipping a few races a year to peak? Hmm, who, Jason Tori? just gets stoked on that. <laughs> What's so, up, Jason? Okay, hey, 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 here I am. Here I am. Good to be here. We got old Redline team manager, Berm Academy owner. Uh, ladies man. Vet pro champion. Oh my gosh. Mister. Carry on, carry on. You haven't hit all the points <laughs> the best yet. Best in the pit. <laughs> uh, uh, what's up, guys? I love the show. Thanks for, uh, I do appreciate giving me a few minutes to chat, man. I don't feel worthy. I already told you after I've seen the list. Uh, I've, I've heard all the shows. We should, we should have had you at the list. beginning, Jace. You're the premier star of the show. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I, I appreciate that. I don't feel that way, but thank you. That's very sweet of you, too. Where are you right now? I'm in New Smyrna, Florida. I'm in New Smyrna, Florida. I'm at, uh, there's a 15 expert, uh, Western Merlot. He's a pretty fast Florida guy. And I'm just kind of, they got 10 acres and 50 animals out here, uh, just south of Daytona Beach. So I'm just kind of hanging out here, man. I'm doing some projects on the truck, getting it ready for tour season just coming up uh, next month, I think. In May it starts. And so, uh, yeah, they, they just, people, uh, the Merlots are just nice enough to let me post up here, and they have every tool you can imagine. So, just doing some truck projects. And then we got the uh, Florida State race this weekend at Daytona, uh, First Coast BMX. 
And so uh, everybody's pumped up. You know, the Florida State Series is huge. So I have a clinic there on Friday, and then we'll get into it on the, on the uh, yeah, the State Series race this weekend. You bringing out the man thong in uh, South Beach this week? <laughs> no, no, it's down south, man. I had that out last month. I'm, no, this is Daytona Beach, way up north, man. Did you get a good uh, tan? What's that? Did you get a good ass tan? Yeah, I went to the nude beach one day, and I got completely lobstered. <laughs> My ass cheeks were peeling. Did you get, your, your package didn't get burnt, did it? No, 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 no. Um, you sunscreen that part, good. Back, uh, you know, we used to go to the naked beach on, on spring break, you know, back in the NBL days when they had the Easter, the back-to-back spring break. Oh, you know special things happened on those spring break races, Tori, wasn't it? Wasn't that spring break race? Wasn't that special? As, as you go on. Okay. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, we used to do those back-to-back races, and we always went to the naked beach in between, man, and it would be just so much fun strolling down the beach, you know, 10 buff dudes, you know, shoulder to shoulder, you know, going to the hot dog stand, <laughs> hanging out for the day, and, uh, yeah, those were, those were the days, so I had to go back and hang out there and, you know, reminisce a little bit. That was back when the pros had fun, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, we used to do a lot of fun things together, man, and that, that was the golden, the golden era, I think, of BMX for me, anyway. Who used to go hard as a pro, off the track? <sighs> off the track? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, Warwick and Kyle, they went hard. Um, you know, we you would stroll out to the – here's the problem, man. You know, I wasted a lot of good years that my body had to give, um, you know, looking for action. And you stroll into the bar on Thursday <laughs> night, Friday night, Saturday night, and there's a pretty good potential. You'd find six, eight double A's in there, you know, just having a good time. And so uh, there's a lot of guys used to go big. But but guys like Kyle and Warwick, man, they oh they, they took it to another level, and uh, I don't think I don't know that anyone could be successful with that model anymore. But man, they sure they sure did it right. I can't remember if it was you who told me this story, but I heard a story about Kyle and Warwick. I can't remember what race it was. They went out on like a Saturday night, I guess, and that's when pros on Sunday morning used to, we used to race at like seven thirty eight in the morning or whatever. They rolled back to the hotel as Best Serene was getting up to go to the track, crushed a jug of water, went, and got 1-2 that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess Christian was going to bed at 9-ish, you know, with a power bar, and um, and those guys, they were staying together. I think that was the, the nerve days with Kyle and Christian and work was staying there, and those guys went out, and Christian said his alarm went off at 6 o'clock, and those guys just came crashing in and just started chugging waters and then they went one and two and christian didn't make the main so uh <laughs> oh how pissed would you be, <laughs> oh, I'd be so, you know, so pissed. What, what do i have to do you know what do you have to do and now us pros just wear our normatech pants have a protein shake and in bed by 9 30 <laughs> yeah it's serious business now man it doesn't look like a lot of fun but but uh hey what do we, we you know if that's what you like i'm all for it and a dying breed really nick's the only one that's trying to you know Live it up for the rest of those guys. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, he's, he might be trying to he pick up the slack for several of you. Yeah, well, he's doing a pretty good job. We'll give him that. The rest yeah, of us suck. <laughs> uh, so, Jason, let's get into Berm Academy stuff quickly. Um, you said you're down in Florida. Uh, so, first, we just want to kind of get an idea. The Berm Academy tours start, what, next month, you said? Yeah, Nashville is when the summer tours kick off. Uh, and then they go basically through Louisville. And then there's um, have a tour that goes... Sarasota to Houston for those two uh, Pro Series Nationals, and then there's a Grands Tour always starts in L.A. 
goes to the Grands, but yeah, uh, Nashville starts the summer tours, man, and they go straight through to uh, Louisville all summer. Right on. What made you even start the Berm Academy? Well, you know, after um, I grew up on BMX road trips, and I mean, they meant everything to me. That's back when teams teams always had summer tours. You know, the GT guys always had a big tour, and and uh, you know, it's just what teams did in the eighties, nineties. And uh, I always took the road trips, man. And it was, um, you know, we we raced as hard as we could race, but I was never a high caliber expert racer. So when we would go to like El Paso, man, it wasn't about the race in El Paso. It was about how fast can we get the Juarez and see what happens over there, you know? Or, you know, I know. I remember one year we drove naked to El Paso. I don't know why five dudes would go naked in a Ford Escort just to do it. But we did it, man, you know, and then... and Fuck, and then you gotta live sometimes, was, you know? Huh? You gotta live sometimes, you know? Yeah, 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 we stopped, there's a place called, uh, there's some big sand dunes on the way, you can stop and rent the disc, and we did nude disking, and we just did everything naked, we, you know, we filled up with gas naked, we just did everything naked back then, but anyway, it was all about the road trips, I grew up on those, like I said, and there's just nothing better than getting a group of your friends together, hitting the road, going to a race, but... And, and, you know, like, the race is kind of the destination, but it's really about all the good stuff that happens along the way. And so I grew up on that. And then, you know, then when I got employed at Redline, Gork, Gork was, was the boss, you know, the marketing director there. And and I was there for 17 years. And so I was on the road, you know, some years, nine months of the year I was on the road. And just living on the road and pros would jump in with me occasionally. And, and uh, you know, we'd do a little tour and, and there were always people asking if they could jump in and, you know, I could take them from this race to that race or whatever. And that kind of planted the seed that maybe, you know, it could be a little side hustle that I could do, um, just taking a few here and there. And then when, when the whole red line thing came crashing down, you know, it just kind of built from there. And I thought, well, you know, if there's, um, you know, maybe I can build it up to a place where, where there's a market for, you know, six or eight people at a time. My, my goal was to take 10 people at a time on tour. And, you know, it all revolves around the USA BMX national circuit, but it's really just about the road trip in between, you know, what goes on between the nationals. Well, and it's, we just ride everything every day, whether it's tracks or trails or bike parks, you know, places like Ray's, we go to New York city and, and do city rides. Um, and we just kind of live the road trip life. And, and, um, so that's really how it started. I, I didn't know what else I was going to do. I wasn't good at anything except, you know, decent at riding a bike. And then I'm a pretty decent trucker and I can put up tents. So I was looking through the the uh, job the job ads and I didn't see that. Nobody was looking for that, you know. So I thought, just thought I'd give this a try. And, and here I am, man. Just still trying to stay in the BMX lifestyle, really. How was the uh, – so obviously you've had the Berm Academy for a few years now and I think it's an awesome idea. Like, how is it being received by people? Like, how's business? Are people signing up and they enjoying it, or how's it going? Man, it's really weird. This is year three, and um, up to this point this year, I haven't done. I had my first tour is a month long, LA to Florida. It's a week around SoCal, and then we do a week in Phoenix. We hit that national, then we go all the way over to Florida. We do the Oldsmar National, and then we cap it off with a week around Florida, which is like. I don't know if you how much time you spend in Florida, but it probably has the highest number of just really top notch tracks of any state in the country. I, you know, if not the most, it's right up there. Yeah, so we do a sure. different beach and track every day. We chase alligators and manatees and do all kinds of things like that. But 
I'm really depending on the foreign market for those types of trips during the school year. And they're just, I'm finding out the European market, the Australians, whoever, they're not interested in that. They, the, all they care about are the World Cups. So that's why when you hear me talking shit about the World Cups, man, I'm just like, how is that so important? You know, you get these riders, they're not getting out of the quarter in April over here. And they're, you know. And they want to focus on World Cups. And so, um, anyway, so it's been weird, man. And I think I'm finally realizing that it's going to be a summer gig, you know, and I'm going to have to find a, a, another hustle in the, you know, in the other, in the other seasons. Um, the summer's going pretty good. The first two tours that are already sold out. And then, you know, I have the old school tour, which was my favorite. And then the girls tour. And so the summer looks really good, man. But otherwise, I, I don't know. People, I don't know if people aren't. They're, the market is obviously not really that pumped on a good time, you know. Um, Everything's so serious, I think, now that, like, people don't even want to go. They don't want to go and just, like, kind of mess around. Not mess around, but they don't want to go on a road trip and have fun. They just want to, like, go to the race and come home and train. Even younger kids, hey? Yeah, and, you know, that's that's what I, I really love, the Olympics. And I love that you guys can showcase what you got on that level and be in front of that crowd. And I'm all for it, and and um, but I, I feel like the seriousness of it all has just trickled down way too far where parents and then, you know, kids are turning BMX into a job at 12 years old or 13 years old or 14 years old. They're telling me they can't ride today because they got a rest day on their <laughs> training program. Right. You're 14, man. You better come on and get up. Let's let's go ride, man. And so it's it's really weird. Yeah, I think it's it's really too serious. And um kids are looking for training programs uh before they've developed the essential skills and and you know my my take on that my ideology is that your foundation has got to be built on bulk hours of just riding everything having a great time no pressure just learning organically through those thousands of hours of just just hanging out on your bike you know riding with your buddies and and you know, whether it's popping wheelies in the street or riding the skate park or going to the trails, everything you do transfers to the track to make you a better racer. But all kids are thinking about is how to go fast on the bike, but they can't ride the bike worth the shit. I agree, yeah. And I think, but, um, like, us growing up, like, we just rode for hours after racing on the weekend or after racing in the evening and just rode till the sun went down in the summer, and that's how we got good. Like, we just challenged each other and had fun lines and just loved riding our bike. Well, you know, there are some kids out there that are still chasing that, but, you know, the kids, they look up to you guys, and, and for good reason, but they look at you, they look at what you do, and they think that's the key to success, and then, you know, I try to explain to kids and their parents that, but you didn't see the last 10 years. Tori can't manual, you know, the whole third straightaway from gym work or sprint work. He got that on the track right there, you know, and so... Um, it's really weird. It's hard to get the point across that, you know, there's a time and place for everything. And, and it's just, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to get that through to parents that, um, to let their kid develop, man, it takes time. They, no one has patience to, to let their skill set um, come along and, and everyone wants it now. And, you know, I talk to a lot of trainers and, and, you know, someone made the point that the parents are so concerned about having the best eight-year-old, they're not really thinking about having the best eighteen-year-old. So, I feel like that's that's really the case. So, yeah, no, it's tough because I mean, think of it as a parent, you want the best for, as a parent, you want the best for your kid, and if you see what the pros are doing, you're like, okay, let's 
let's do what the pros are doing. You think you're going to get the best, but no, you need to ride. Then you look at the fence yeah. guys, those guys know how to ride a bike, and why is that? It's because they ride so often. And like you guys yeah, said, like Corey the, said. The, the parents, you know, they like to, they, they're putting their agenda in the kid's sport. They, they want the kid to accomplish what, what they want him to accomplish. I'm like, well, what does your kid want to do? Maybe he just wants to do some manuals. And um, so I'm a firm believer that you've got to build the skill set first. You can't go backwards. I've seen too many times people try to do it backwards, and, and you, that skill set has to come in those those years when you're building that foundation, and you can't get it later. You can't turn around and go back and get it. That's why these kids that that have ruined their themselves with clip pedals and bad habits, they're going to have a hard time going back to pick up the pieces, you know, when it when it comes time to do that. So yeah, that's my thought anyway. Yeah, no, I'm, I agree with that too, but... You've obviously been around the sport for so long. You, I think you've seen the, the progression of, let's say, pros and how much has changed. Do you think that's the biggest difference from, I guess, let's say 20 years ago to now is just how much they stick to a schedule and train versus just ride? Well, yeah. You know, back in the day when we studied magazines, it was like Greg Hill doing 100 gate starts and then going for bicep curls and then, you know, Whatever it was, it was kind of a meathead. I, I don't think anyone had a proper training program, and I think uh, people really uh, credited Kristoff with changing the face of training to us over here in North America. Because when he came over, man, he had had years under a you know periodized schedule or or um, you know proper training techniques, and he just came over and started just waxing people and and of course he had those french skills that they all seem to have and and uh man they just took he took you know training to a level that americans to that point hadn't seen that i can remember you know i don't know what everyone was doing because i wasn't really running around with pros back then but what i see in the magazine you know it's gate starts and of course they did some sprinting but i don't think it was organized you know the way the trainers do it now and so so it's definitely the level of pro racing, man. If I ever get down on pros, man, it's, it's certainly no, not out of disrespect for the abilities that you guys have, the, the skills, the power. It's, I mean, I'm in awe watching pro racing, and um, it, it's it's amazing. And uh, it's it's just um, the females, the amount they've come up. It's just, uh, yeah, it's all great, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how to translate it to the younger crowd of of, of you know how you get there and what's the proper route to get there and and um but anyway it's hard to get people to remember that you got into the sport because it's so fun like when we talk about like getting kids to learn skills like they do that by riding with their friends at the track not from just racing or trying to go fast like you said like as much as you can go you know learn something from a coach you're only going to learn those skills if you basically go ride a track and go do them that's it. You know, when we when we're on tour, we go to trails, and I'll have some expert racers with me, and we go to trails, and they are deathly afraid of anything that doesn't have a middle. They will not jump in it. I'm telling them, look, I, I'm touching the takeoff with one hand and the landing with the other hand, and you're telling me you're not going to take a run at this. Fifteen expert kid, and it's just it's mind boggling. I do clinics, and you got expert riders that cannot ride a wheelie, and of course, they're clipped in, and, and I'm just like, isn't that the first thing you learn when you, or you want to learn when you take your training wheels off? Next thing is pop a wheelie, and they can't pop a wheelie. I've seen expert <laughs> racers 
flip over the handlebars trying to bunny hop a two by four because they pull up so hard with their feet and they pull the back wheel up and and go for the bars. Uh, a two by four is I don't know how many millimeters, but it's three. No, we got tall. it. We got it, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> What's the like the uh, so obviously you've been around pros a long time. Like, did the pros have more fun back in the day? Did they take it as serious as pros do now, or maybe talk a little on that? Like, did they? kind of live a little more than us or what well the crew i ran with definitely did um i i feel that's the way it was and i feel like everyone was a little more relaxed so it was still kind of even you know um i mean good luck today getting getting pros to stay you know three days after a race got a group of 10 dudes to go hang out together it's just not gonna happen man. no no um it's, uh, <laughs> so obviously, I think people did slow down a little bit to to enjoy enjoy it, and it's going to be over so fast. You know, it could be over in a single crash, but you know, I do feel like that people took time to to enjoy. You know, when you go to a destination, you know, it was more than the track, hotel, and dinner spot. You know, they took time to see things and do things, and and it doesn't necessarily mean partying all the time. You don't. You know, you don't necessarily have to do that, but but um, I do think it was a little a little less serious, and somehow they made more money, and so I don't know, man. Sounds I don't like a hell of a time. <laughs> sacrifice sometimes. Um, what you guys put into it versus what you get out of it these days seems so off balance. So not only in your dedication versus the pay, I feel like you know there could be a better balance in in the the, the work and play as well. But that's you know that's my my take. Yeah, people say money doesn't buy happiness, but I feel like in this case, if I had more money and I wasn't worried about, you know, continuing to progress and make money eventually to do more races, I'd go have fun too. <laughs> Dude, hey, listen, man, I can't even tell you in my double A days, uh, and I did have some sponsorship. My first paying sponsor was Poor Boy, um, Poor Boy Clothing. Say, I won a pro at the Grands '94. And it was like uh, beginning of 95, they were a local company. I don't know if you guys even know them. They used to make pads, T-shirts, all kinds of things. And uh, they were a local thing. And we saw them down at the trails. Down at our spot was Meadowbrook Trails. And the guy asked me, you know, if I wanted to be on Poor Boy. And heck yeah. So, you know, I became part of their team. And they were, you know, it was like going through the warehouse with a, with a shopping cart, getting all the cool clothes and 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 that and then at some point they're like i went into the office to have a little powwow and the guy's like we're gonna give you a thousand dollars a month to race double a and i couldn't believe it man i couldn't believe someone where's the pen bro i need to sign (laughs) what's that you just ask him where's the pen bro dude i couldn't believe that someone believed in me on on the level to give me a thousand dollars a month to go and do you know, and if you play your cards right, if you, I used to drive, I had a little Suzu mini truck, and I used to drive to a lot of the nationals. We, we had room for three people. I had a camper top on the back, and it was all carpeted out with some woofers and that. And so, you know, we just rotate each tank of gas. You'd go from the driver's seat to the passenger seat, and then one person could sleep in the back, and then we just rotate it out. So if I played my cards right, that $1,000 would get me to two two races. But, you know, there were a lot of races where I didn't have any money, and so... Uh, I'd write a check for my entry fees, and then back in those days, the checks would get to my bank on Thursday. And so I was tripping. It's like, I need to make the semi to get my entry fee money back. And there were a lot of times I didn't. So I had to race back and try to work. Uh, I used to work for my stepdad, uh, putting doorknobs on new homes and things like that. And I had to try to make enough money to get 
get that money in the bank before the check hit on Thursday, man. And, and that wasn't just the every now and then thing. That was pretty common back then. And, you know, sometimes I would, you know, would make the money to cover the check. But, man, dude, writing checks back then, that bought you a couple extra days. It's like a loan, short-term loan. So what, I, what I always wanted to know, Jason, like back in the day, the pros, obviously, like we talked about, went out a bit more and had some more fun. So, like, how often did you guys go out? When did what pros like to go out? Um, maybe who who whipped off their speedo and tan naked with you? <laughs> <laughs> Give us some deets. Give us some deets. Uh, man, you know I spent. Let's see. I know Darren Mitchell. These are a bunch of names that people might not know in this in the current current era. But I know, man. I wanted to do something Thursday night, Friday night, and most of the time Saturday night. I'd see guys like Jason Donnell out there. Matt Hayden was always good for a beer. Uh, you know, Darren Mitchell, like I said, there there was a pretty long list of dudes that we'd catch out there. Some of the ABA guys, Greg Leisure, Dan Mooney, you know, Sean Dwight, when he came over, you know, when he was racing, everybody knows Sean, the famous trainer of Kyle, Warwick, um, Sam, Elise. He's trained a lot of people. Uh, Connor. Um, he was always good to go out. Uh, he raced double A for a while over here. So, um, there was a crew of guys that would go out, you know, it wasn't huge, but, but the crew I ran with, we, you know, we went out, it would, you know, just, just don't want to go to the hotel. I remember boots, you know, when boots was on uh track and then Hayden was on Gary Fisher, uh, that would have been uh, early, late 90s, something like that. I remember Boots bragging about that they got back to the hotel in time after it was a small national. They got back in time to watch three movies in a row in the hotel room. And I was just thinking, what a bunch of losers, man. Three <laughs> movies in a row in the hotel room? What do you do? And now, dude, I would love nothing more than to watch three movies in a row, you know, wrapped up in a burrito in an ice-cold room, you know? So maybe it took me a little while to come around. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I think that's just the day in today's like today's age and sport has got a lot more serious. Um, what do you think? Who like if you could? I don't know about change anything, but um, you know BMX obviously it's a niche sport, and um, you know we're never going to be a mainstream sport, so to speak. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that ride bikes and race BMX, and there's a lot of sponsors in the sport, and it's a, you know has a pretty good following. Like, what do you think we could do collectively to kind of move forward as a sport? Well, man, if you're talking about the sport as a whole, there needs to be a, a better, I don't know, these are all just my opinions, obviously, but a better separation between you guys on the Supercross level versus just regular, you know, regular conventional BMX tracks. I, I think the big hills scare scare people. I'm not a big fan of stadium BMX, man. I've said it a million times. Uh Every time I watch transit and I see the whole class banging together in the last turn of a lap, I go, dude, that is better racing. Um, I know you guys want to go faster. You want to go bigger. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Supercross. I don't think the racing is that exciting to watch. I know it's probably exciting to do, but you guys are going 100 miles an hour. Someone's got to figure out how to go 110 to pass anyone. No one's going to take too many chances because you can't afford to lose an ounce of track speed, you know. And so I, 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 I'm I, a fan of conventional BMX, and I think if you want it to grow, it's going to have to be obviously on that level. Um, so I think the beginner league, what Donnie and Mike Carruth are doing is – is, is a, a really good idea, and it's and it's taken, I can't believe it's taken this long for someone to really come up 
with an effort, uh, you know, put up a serious effort to bring new riders in because our sport being such a niche and it doesn't bring in a lot of money. So obviously it's hard to get a BMX track in a good location where people actually see it. You know, a lot of times it's in the, you know, in the industrial part of town or in the shady side of town or, or whatever. So people don't just stumble across it too often. Um, you know, my story was just a kid moved into the next building from me and, um, and he invited me to Cowtown BMX one day. That's over in Fort Worth. And, 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 you know, I had a bike. I think I had like a GT, uh, whatever, but I was a freestyle bike. You know, it was, it was uh, a cheap bike, kind of made into a freestyle bike. And dude, a, a kid next door offered me a ride to the track and, and I became a BMX racer that night. So, you know, BMX has just grown through word of mouth to this point and, but the turnover rate is so high. I, I think the last report I got at the track operator summit was like 40% per year. So I don't know what it takes for some retention. You know, if we could just retain half of those riders, the sport would grow at a, at a crazy pace. But we're just dropping out so many every year that it just, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to continue when you're losing that many. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to create growth at that rate. So I like the beginner league. Um, there's the BMX, USA BMX Foundation is starting to uh, get involved with schools. Um, Posey, you know, works over there at the, yeah. when run, heading up their STEM, STEM program. And so just getting more kids to the track. And if you, you know, if you talk to Mike Carruth about it, man, he gets these kids out to the track, dude, they don't want to leave. And when you sign up for league, you know, I don't know all the specifics of league, but it's like 10 races or whatever and practices and you get a jersey and, you know, it's like one, it's kind of, kind of like a mini soccer season or whatever. You, when you pay your entry fee, it's going to pay for the whole program. And those kids, man, they're pumped and they keep them completely separate away, you know, separate from, from, um, you know, the season, the, the factory dads that'll poison them and the kids that'll tell them they need titanium top to bottom and carbon fiber to, to get out of novice, you know, they keep them separated from those kids. And, and I think that's a cool program and I hope it just continues to grow. And I mean, things like that, you know, getting into the schools, letting the kids know what BMX is and where they can do it. And, and, um, I mean, that's, that's it. And then, you know, for you guys at your level, I love what you do, but I, I mean, I don't think that's the key to growth. Um, so, and I hear people say we got to we got to keep going down that road because we've invested millions into it, and we'll look like suckers if you know if you pull the plug on the big hill now after the you know hundred million dollars have been spent on these tracks around the world. Um, it might look kind of funny, but I don't I don't know what the future holds for that. And you know, if it gets pulled out of the Olympics at some point, then what? You know. I don't know, man. Like, I think Supercross is great for the sport because I think, like, obviously us kind of purists in BMX, we're used to growing up on the small hill, but, like, if you look at, like, the general population who's going to watch the Olympics, they're going to think Supercross is way cooler than traditional BMX. It's so much more eye-catching, I think, and um, I think it, it'll draw, like, the average person uh, at the Olympics to watch BMX as opposed to having it on a flat hill. Well, what's the, what's the draw? Are you just saying that a big hill is all is, is that's the difference? Because I'm, I'm, what I'm, I want to see is some horsepower. I want to see you guys lay it down. I love the old Louisville track. I can't believe what they've done to it. Um, I'm a fan of that. You can have big races. You guys are going to come out of the first turn with the same pace as you have now. You're just not going to get to the first turn quite as quickly, and you can still have big jumps. But I, I man, that hill. 
and it's just because I'm old. It scares me. I can't imagine hitting that thing elbow to elbow, 30, 35 miles an hour. The race hasn't kind of developed yet, and so it just seems dangerous, man. And, and I don't think everybody out there is thinking about the safety of others. I've seen people do some dumb shit on those hills, and you know, without the concern of anyone else, except you know, hopefully their whole shot. And and it's just, I don't know, man. No, I, I, see, I see your point, but the uh, I think it's a lot more eye-catching because so, if a, someone's watching the Olympics or World Cup who's not who's not in BMX, they don't really appreciate the horsepower people have to lay out on a flat hill. But, for instance, they see a big supercross hill, they see people going fast and jumping huge jumps, like, holy crap, this is sick. But if they see us manualing or picking up for tabletops like on normal tracks, I don't think they're going to think it's that cool. Well, dude, you can jump your way around a normal BMX track, too. You just build some jumps that don't have middles, man. You could jump from the second jump on can be whatever you want it to be. Um, I just think um, uh, keeping it, slowing it down a little bit makes a better race, in my opinion. That's and that's just my opinion. I don't think it'll change. Um, faster doesn't mean better racing, and that's what I think it's going to take to um, – it just makes it more interesting. I want to see people banging bars, and, and I think, shit, I think the crowd wants to see that too, man. I don't want to see a high-speed follow the leader. You didn't watch Argentina uh, last year, lap, did you, Jason? You know, and I know there have been some good races, you know, and everybody would point to uh, Argentina where everybody crossed together, but that's like one time, you well, know? dude, how often do you see at USA BMX races, how often do you see tons of people passing and stuff? You don't really see it. Mm-hmm. I think the racing's better on the World Cup tracks where it's big and wide open. Like, if you look at a lot of World Cup mains, they're really exciting, I think, and have a lot of passes, whereas USA BMX race, it's usually just follow the leader after the first corner. Is that how you see it? I see it opposite, but, you know, you know, two people can have different beliefs, and then they can sit down and watch the exact same thing and have a different opinion of what they just saw, and that's just the way our brains work, you know, but when I watch Transit, I, and, and maybe I'm stuck in the Transit era, I love those tapes, by the way, those CDs. Oh, they're the best. Um, they're the DVDs. best. But, um, but maybe I'm just stuck in that era because that was my era, you know, the mid-2000s. That's, that's, that's when I really enjoyed things. And so maybe I'm stuck in that era, and when I watch it, I go, dude, when I watch BMX, when I watch Pros Race Now, I don't see that. And so, I, and that's not to, um, you know, obviously the skill set is higher, the power is better, all that, I mean, higher, all that stuff. But um, I don't see... The banging going on that I see on transit, the close racing, um, and I and I know what happens, but man, you guys got to be careful. Um, you you're not going to hit the ground softly on one of those tracks. It's not going to happen. No, you're not going to hit the ground softly on any track, really. So, but, so yeah. anyway, what else, man? What else can I tell you? That's a good topic. I'm interested in this. We can move on. We can move on, Jason. We can move on. What's that? We I said we can move on. Okay, okay. Um, let's talk a little about your red line days. Yeah. So, James, go for it. You already start talking. Go. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? Well, it sounds like weird of me asking because I was on red line. <laughs> well, I was not red line, Jason, so I'm curious. Like, what was it like kind of managing basically three, four of the top pros on the tour? You had Tori, you had Sam, Elise, and uh, People's Champ. Denzel. Also Denzel. So what was it like managing those guys and being the team manager for Redline? Well, and go before that, we had Bubba. Go before that, we had the Jackal. So, I didn't so know you, you Redline them, yeah. historically had the best pros, you know, on the planet all the way through. And then Elise and, and Kim Hashi before her. And, and, you know, then there was a lot of top amateurs. And, and uh, 
dude, it, it was an unreal environment to be in. Uh, you know, so going back before Redline, the last couple of years uh, when I was racing AA or a little bit of A Pro, I was riding for Torker, which was a Seattle Bike Supply Company, and and it was just kind of a co-sponsorship deal. They gave me bikes, a couple of entry fees here and there, and then I used to piggyback off of Matt Hayden, who was their their top pro, and then. You know, when they decided to get back in the truck and trailer game, uh, you know, Gork had just become the marketing director there. And, you know, somehow my name got in the hat. You know, I did a Torker clinic. I bought this new Troy Lee Mazda truck back in 1999. And I put together a summer tour of clinics just in my own truck, just hitting all the nationals. And um, someone wrote a nice letter who attended one of those clinics, wrote a nice letter to Seattle Bike Supply. And it just really kind of, grew from that when they when they started looking for a truck and trailer guy uh the next year my name was in the hat and and gork you know picked me to be the guy and and um man you know it was a job that i thought would have lasted a couple of years and like i said i was there 17 years through you know like i said john purse to bubba to to everyone else he just listed and and dude it was an amazing run and and more than managed the crew i mean i really was just the the airport run guy i booked the hotels i booked the flights i wasn't dictating anyone's salaries or anything like that so um i was just hopefully a friend and and um an older dude older wiser dude you know that was going to get them back and forth to breakfast safely and and then uh participate in a lot of truck talk you know what we had going on there so dude but just to be around the very best on the planet week in and week out see how they operate um see their attitudes uh it, it was it was an education for me even as an, you know an older guy that's been around it was an education for me that that's really invaluable and and then the friendships that came out of it and those years man were were, were so special i can't it's hard to put it into words and you don't even realize it like you guys whatever you're doing now you don't even realize five years from now this is going to be something that you talk about the most simple mundane shit like for us it was truck talk you know, when oh, we get yeah. the truck right at the airport, man, we go right into it, man. What's the latest gossip? Give me the scoop on the ladies. Whatever, whatever's going on, and then poor as Alex, soon as Jason picked this up, take it, as know? soon as Jason picked this up, we'd it, first first question: saw the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I want to know because I was living through you guys. I'm just, you know, I'm an ugly old guy, so I'm trying to live through all you young handsome fellas, and. and um, so yeah, that was always a big topic of conversation. But man, those days in the truck, I wouldn't trade them for anything. It's it, more important than any races we won. Um, the friendships that developed from that, and and uh, just the time we all got to spend together, uh, is really. I, I don't know what else I can say about it, man. It, it was some of the best years, and and it's really a shame what happened uh, with SBS and Redline, the, the the big corporate takeover, and they just you know Excel Group came in and you know bottom up and then dumped all the pieces out and i don't even know it's still in shambles over there as far as i can tell but but you know then luckily from there john sawyer came in with answer and s squared and said hey whatever you're doing after redline i want to be in on it and so you know he's allowed me to carry on and into what i'm doing now so that's badass all right well on the flip side jason then what was the worst thing about having to be on the road with all these guys you know like tory sam and Lee? <laughs> The empty Man. water bottles. <laughs> you know, hey, dude, you know, as you go forward in life and you look back on things, you don't really remember the negative stuff too much. And, and I can't remember. I'm sure I, 
I got pissed a lot, and I'm sure I bitched at him a lot. But yeah, Tori, he likes to drink one sip out of a. Water oh my god, this down. is always Sam, and I always got blamed for it. <laughs> and then he's like, "Yeah, I can't drink. I don't have a spleen." He reminded me he didn't have a spleen at least twice a week. Can't share bottles, bro. I'm I can die. Drink that water. I think there was a couple times I quit buying the water because they were just abusing the privilege of having free water. So. You know, and Tori always blamed his spleen why he can't finish the water. <laughs> what a wuss. You know. what a wuss. Oh, I feel like I feel like I did it from time to time, but I made a conscious effort to, but I always got blamed for it. <laughs> There's a half half drank water ball around. I just hear Jason, Tori! <laughs> I could never find him. And then spilling protein powder all over the counter and then putting the, the knife with peanut butter right on the counter. You know, that was you. Just, just like who who does that? Who would do that? I was like the young I was like the young sibling who always got blamed for the shit. Well, yeah, it wasn't bad though, man. I didn't mind. I, I, I didn't mind. Those are some of the most fun I ever had. Those years, whereas me, you, Elise, Sam, Denzel, like, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Like you said. Well, and you know that's what I try to convince people of through. Well, not only obviously I want to sell them my program, but I'm like, in the end, the experiences, the stories, it's all you're gonna have. Nothing that you did on the track is really gonna matter. I mean, let's face it. This the very the very few people are gonna you know, make a decent living at this, and and so really, you gotta chase the experiences and the stories because that's that's what you're gonna have left in the end. And and you know, right now after 33 years of racing, when I think back on it, there's probably five races, you know, a couple of world championships or grands that stand out in my in my mind but the rest of it man is just the stories the stories along the way and so you know i have the i have the the benefit of of time you know to to know what's important in the end and so i'm trying to to persuade parents to maybe not push their kids so so hard um to let them just enjoy the sport it's it's really makes me want to bang my head up against the wall because you know i know because i've lived it and um I got real lucky growing up poor, actually. I didn't feel lucky at the time, but, you know, I wasn't able to race until I was a little older. I got a job, uh, had a newspaper route, and then I started selling the newspaper door-to-door, and it's, you know, I had to put my first bike as a GT Mach 1. I had to put on layaway. It was like $229. I don't remember how long it took me to pay it off, but, you know, we go up to the bike shop and make little payments, and then sitting in the back with your name tag on it, it's all chrome, and, you know, you're like, man, can I sit on it for a minute? And you're just dreaming of the day that bike, you're going you're gonna to ride out on that bike. And I remember the day I made my last payment, I put a, bought a Haro number plate for it, put a number one on it upside down because Eddie Fiola used to do that when he did freestyle. He had an upside down number one. And, uh, dude, riding out of that bike shop on that thing that I had paid off for probably six weeks, I can't even imagine. The kids with the new Onyx hubs and – you know, the dagger forks and they'll never know that feeling I had. And I, and I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel lucky cause I was poor. You know, I had to put that thing on layaway, but, but the, the kids these days, they'll never know the feeling of pride to no, have that. But n- nowadays in today's society, people just, people just start a GoFundMe nowadays instead of actually working for it. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know, but, but, um, but you know, from, from the paper, selling newspapers i went on to work at a grocery store bagging groceries and you know it was all to buy the bike parts and to pay the entry fees and i mean all the way down to the chicken nuggets on the way home um that's pretty much up to me my mom did what she could but but it was, she was a single mom and, and it was tough and so when we'd go out of town and um 
we go out of town to a state race or something, and all my buddies would stay a day after to float the river or whatever they're doing. And we shit, I gotta go back and bag groceries. And I, I certainly didn't feel lucky at the time, um, but the work ethic that that was kind of being created in me as a young guy, um, I'm so lucky that I that I had that. And be, because my mother wasn't financially um, really financially invested in BMX, there wasn't an ounce of pressure to perform. It was just have fun, be careful. That's it. I think that's all I ever heard. And, you know, so I could be at the grands on the day of the main. And if I want to go jump the concrete ditch over there, my mom's just going to say, wear your helmet, you know, as I scurry out the door, that's it. And so growing up with no pressure, doing BMX for fun, living a BMX lifestyle, you know, right. We had back then we had a bike and we rode it everywhere. It was your park bike, trail bike, race bike, lake jumping bike. It was your bike and that was it. And you lived on it. If you jumped in the lake, you take it apart, you grease the bearings, put it back together and you ride to the trails or whatever. But that's what I'm talking about. That thing would have been so rusty. (laughs) Well, dude, I mean, that's just, we had a bike, man. It was, you know, some people were lucky enough to have a thrasher bike, but, but you know, you come to now and you look at kids' bikes and they're so specialized and so like the kids aren't even allowed to ride it anywhere but the track. So they ride their park bike all week, you know, with 10 inch handlebars and a 13 inch rear end. And then they get to the track on the weekend and they're making excuses for why they can't manual the double on their race bike. <laughs> I'm like, stupid, because you don't spend any time on your race bike. You got to live on that race bike. And if it's too dainty to jump a curb on it, then you need a different bike, man. You know, so anyway, yeah, growing up, yeah, I didn't have any pressure and I was really lucky that I didn't because that's probably why I'm still here after 33 years, just kind of chasing good times. Well, yeah, nowadays our race bikes are, they're not fun to ride, really. They're meant to be fast and be able to race fast. And if you try to just go mess around a rhythm section, yeah, we can do it. But if I wanted to go have fun and just do that, I would definitely have a different setup of bike than I would for my race bike right now. It's crazy. Well, I don't know what happened to bikes, but um, people. I don't know. Faster. I think there's a happy medium somewhere. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? But okay. So, kind of circling back to redline stuff, we had a question from Liam, Prince Liam Phillips. I wanted to ask you now is the question was in your opinion what made Sam so successful? Sam, so you were obviously around Sam all the time. Was there anything? Oh you man, Sam. You know, I've never seen, uh, and I've been around a few dudes. I'd never seen someone, I mean, he'll tell you, he, well, he says he had processes for processes for processes. You know, he was a very meticulous, scientific dude. I got really lucky enough uh, to spend some Novembers uh, with the Willoughbys, you know, training for the Grands or whatever, and to see the level, and I and I know you guys are, are all on a, on, a, on a high level, but I'd never seen something approached so meticulously like, um, Everything was filmed, documented, um, recorded. If there was a sprint that was a hundredth of a second faster, you analyze the film, you see, was there any different body position? Was there this? And it's just like, I've never seen anyone approach it in that way or on that level. And I mean, obviously you see the results that came from it. Um, 
and I've seen Sam kicking timers and water bottles over, you know, unclipping during a sprint. Or, oh, man, I've seen him throw so many bitch fits. I've seen him throwing his helmet over two second places. I had a, a weekend that, you know, most people would be, like, ecstatic about. I've seen him throwing his helmets and, and throwing fits. And, and um, dude, he's just that kind of guy who's not taking no for an answer. And uh, so he was, a, I mean, he for lack of a better word, he was just a machine, man, a scientist of, of the sport. And, um, but you know, it's funny when I talked to Sam about, you know, if you could change something, what would it be? And, you know, he said he would have slowed it down a little bit and enjoyed himself a little more. But you know, the thing is you, you can't take one of the pieces out of the puzzle and expect the rest of it to go together. Right. You know, so Sam would have been Sam without being a maniac. You know, and so and he's still a maniac now. He wants to do pecs every day. He's huge. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, that's that's all I could see. But I'm sure everyone else approaches it in in a similar fashion now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, you, it takes that little special thing that everybody just doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, someone like Sam, obviously, I was around him a lot too with Redline and being friends, and I'd stay at his house sometimes, like. His just approach to everything was so intense. Like, like you said, he broke everything down and analyzed everything. And uh, I've never seen someone approach it like he has. And as you see, I remember when he would have a bad lap, I'd just run off and hide. Like, I didn't want to see him for a little while. Everyone's tiptoeing around Sam. How was Sam's lap? Oh, no, he got a third. I'm going to go over here and pretend like I'm not watching. <laughs> I know. Funny. I, oh, I, saw, I, saw many, I saw many water bottles being thrown about second places. Or <laughs> yeah, it happened, man. Oh, it happened all the time. It's, yeah. it, it's fun to laugh about it now. He knows. He knows yeah. too. But I think like just being on the team too with Sam and Elise and with Denzel, like I feel like they, we all kind of helped raise the level of each other. You know, like Sam was obviously a top guy, and so if Sam was winning. I didn't want to not be in the main and battling for a podium and stuff too, you know? And, um, I think, you know, especially the culture of red line, like it was about winning. And so I think that kind of, he helped raise the, the level of the whole red line, you know? Oh, definitely. And the, the, yeah, we on, on that arrow was definitely, um, you know, between you and Denzel and Hunter when he was around and Sam and Elise, man, it was like, dude, I couldn't think of a better team. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a shame that, it, that um, I mean, as a family and a team, and I, and I think everyone everyone just having a fun attitude. You know, when you're having fun, things just seem to flow better. And um, because we were always having such a good time, I, I, you know, I hope that everyone didn't really feel the pressure of, of performing like, you know, a lot of pros can and do, um, not only for the money side of things, but um, just to please the sponsors and on and on. But, you know, if you're having a good time, things just fall into place better. And so, you know, I always thrived on, on keeping everyone laughing as much as I could. And, and, um, have some you know, music going, <laughs> have some music what? going at the trailer. <laughs> oh man. You know, it's just setting the tone, like having a good atmosphere around there. You know, I can't stand for everyone to be so serious because it's really, I, there's no need, man. You're not going to do better because you're marching around with a mean face. You know, so let's have a good time. And then when you head up to the gate, you flip your switch and you get down to business. But but I think just having a good time and 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 it's reflected. I think you guys talked about to Nick about it, um, about how those guys always look like they're having a good time. And and it's just, 
it's reflected in their performance. Everyone does better when you know when no one's you know when people aren't stressing out over their performance. And um, so that's that's just you know my key to 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 better performance is just keeping it fun and and you know and keeping the focus on what needs to be focused on. And and there you go. No, I agree, and uh, I think it can be tough at sometimes because you know I've always had tried to keep like a. A really good attitude with racing and enjoy the races but it's kind of hard sometimes if you're if you're working hard and stuff and the results aren't coming it can be tough you know and especially like on a team like redline like when we were all on the podium and stuff it was happy days and we kind of had fun regardless but it was tough like if i had a bad weekend and didn't podium or make the main or whatever and sam won like it was kind of like shit like i need to be up there too you know well of course man you guys wouldn't be where you are without that attitude um you know, everyone wants to perform well. Otherwise, you're not, you know, you wouldn't have made it where you're at now without that attitude. So I understand that, too. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. All right, James, what do you say we go to the next segment of the show? Yeah, Jason, we're going to move on to the uh, quick shot segment question. Quish, I always get this. Quick right? shot question segment. That one. <laughs> we're into that one. Are you familiar with it? I, I have heard it, yeah. I'm supposed to give you a really quick answer, right? Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be quick, yeah. Okay, I'll do my best. I'm pretty long-winded, but... Keep, keep her short. No elaboration. <laughs> all right, first one from the Palm Dog Millionaire. How do you keep all the ladies from swarming the truck when on the road? <laughs> uh, well, I'm only newly single, so that hasn't been an issue, you know? I just try to keep a hot girlfriend around, and then they, they know. Oh, you're single? Well, yeah, I'm single. What do you mean? Uh, okay. yeah. You know. You <laughs> know. All right, from at Connor Hedges. Out of all the pros racing now, who has the worst berms you've you've seen? I don't know what that means. Who who's the worst at corners? I guess he's what he's asking. Oh my gosh, man! I wouldn't even I, I I wouldn't even I wouldn't even attempt to make a call at that. Anybody on the track in the pro class today can turn better than any. You know, let's let's find someone who turns with level pedals, and then I'll say that they're they're the worst because uh, I'm an outside pedal down. I theory guy. completely agree. Thank you. All from all bag Josh. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I messed that up. Which do you prefer, bicep curls or sprints? Oh, dude, these days bicep curls all day, every day. No girls gonna be like. No girls gonna be like sprints in my life. I, I just want to look <laughs> pretty now. Well, yeah, no girl's going to come up to you and be like, sick 30-meter sprint time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, man, my legs, they don't have a lot of sprints left in them. I like to do a few with the kids on tour, you know, we line up, we do some shorties and whatever. I, I do like to do a few every now and then just to stay on top of it. But, man, I've really fought falling off the back when it comes to training, so I'm definitely picking bicep curls. <laughs> All right, from at Steven Smith, what's the best road trip argument you got into with Riley Stair? Uh, Riley, man, the man of the cloth. Uh, well, you know, Riley's a little bit different than me. I'm not religious, and and he is. So we had gay debates. We had debates about abortion. We had, um, you know, uh, the funny thing is Riley's against gay marriage, and I, I'm sure he has homosexual friends, but for some reason he was against gay marriage, and so we were having a full, <laughs> a full debate about, I'm like, what, how could it possibly harm you of two people that love each other getting married, regardless of what sex they are? 
And the only answer he could come up with is that he might drive by while the ceremony's taking place and it will upset him to see it. Oh my that was, God. <laughs> oh he was, my he was God. a lot younger when we had that argument, man. So give him, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to throw too much, uh, you know, heat his way because he was a younger guy. But I thought it was so funny. Just like, well, I might drive by and I'll see it and it's going to upset me. <laughs> oh so that was, that, that was his best argument he'd come up with against, against gay marriage. But anyway, next, please. Um, uh, the Chelsea Kingston. What do you think about people who curl in the squat rack? You know what? There's just a million places you can do uh, curls, but there's generally only a couple squat racks in the gym, so I think it's just common courtesy. Same with re-racking your weights. Don't put the 60s where the 35s go, and on and on. It just, it all carries, you know, the people that curl in the squat rack, they're very self-involved, very (laughs) selfish. They don't, they have no awareness of the world around them, and I see that a lot in places like California. I don't know why when I go to Cali, no one can put the weights back where they go. Common no one's worried about anyone else on the planet but themselves. Yeah. It's a it's a place full of, um, I don't know if they're narcissists or what they are over there, but, but that's where I see it most. But yeah, no, I don't like it. Get out of there. Go do them somewhere else. <laughs> I'm from L. Kilgore 49. Lenny. Lenny. How much think, do you think you could get for Tori's S-squared when he forgets to put it away the, in the rig the next time? You know, I don't understand what, why. I don't understand. Tori used to do that. Just come and drop his bikes off. Like, it's my job to take care of him. And uh, it used to make me crazy. Like, at the end of the day, I've had a long day. I've fed a bunch of kids. I've cleaned up after people. And then I look, and there's a whole group of Canadian bikes on the bike rack just waiting to be put away. And I used to freak out over it, but um, yeah, I don't think I'd pawn it. But um, now that we're family, we're all family here. Uh, yeah, no, nah, I'll take care of your team. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Trouble underscore BMX fourteen. Favorite track you've ever been to? Uh, man, it's a toss up, and, and it's it's not. Um, I think the world's track in 06 and the world's track in 07. That was uh, Sao Paulo, and uh, and then Victoria. Uh, those are probably my two favorite tracks. Um, probably because they, they end up being good weekends, good races, good times. But, uh, but those, those were, those are really good tracks. Pitching. All right. From at Sylvan Andre, who on the red line team was the worst mechanic? Oh, hang on, man. Hang on a minute. I'm sure I used to fix someone's bike a lot. <laughs> Oh, uh, and I just couldn't understand how do you not know how to make the brake spring pull the other way, you know? Um, I think everybody's pretty good, you know? I think everybody was pretty good, but I, I know there was somebody. I can remember working on someone's bike a lot, but I don't remember who it was. Hit yep. my head a few times. Probably wasn't mine. <laughs> no. At, <laughs> at NickFox.com, what are your thoughts on half full water bottles left in your pit area? Okay, we already covered that. Yeah. It's rude. Uh, it's inconsiderate, especially if you're not buying the water. If you bought the water, I don't care if you don't drink any of it. Pour it all in your head if you want. But if I bought it, if the team bought it, the, the, the company bought it, you know, come on, be considerate. Someone else's money. Hey, come on, guys. Jeez. <laughs> all right, another one from Matt Sylvan Andre. Do you still drive the truck with your elbow and knee pads on? 
If I'm in a hurry, man, you know that night, <laughs> let me tell you, Sylvain, and this is a message for the pros out there, Nick keeps telling me he's coming on tour, he ain't coming on he's tour. He's not going on tour. <laughs> uh, um, Sylvain went on tour from the Worlds uh, when he got second in Rock Hill to Colorado, which was the next weekend, and we had seven people on this truck, uh, seven riders, but it was half of Dale's uh, Junior Devo team, uh, Sylvain. I'm trying to think who else was on there. And then myself and girlfriend at the time, we had nine people living on this truck, man. Uh, Lenny Kilgore was on that tour. Man, it was the funnest tour. I mean, they're all pretty fun. But to roll up to the trails, we went across all the Colorado bike parks. And you jump out and you got seven homies to, to ride trails with, man, all of good caliber riders we had some really good uh, females on there peanut was there uh we had um new zealand uh new zealand girl i'm just, oh my gosh I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now uh stevie lee reuben uh girls that could ride ride trails mm-hmm. and man it, it was amazing and sylvain like you guys already covered i never seen someone eat more cookies and drink more <laughs> beer and be more shredded i couldn't believe it i'm like this can't be this can't be like the way he lives, but apparently it is. We don't get it, Sylvan. I don't get it. I don't get it one bit. Are you, by the way, are you still doing the Old Dogs tour? Oh yeah, yeah. It's this. It's this week. Uh, this this uh, July starts and ends in Vegas, and it's man, it's um, it's Vegas, it's uh, Moab, Utah, it's all the bike parks in Colorado, downhill riding, uh, uh, downhill runs at Angel Fire in in New Mexico. Uh, back to the Grand Canyon and then back to Vegas for the National, man. Of course, I'm doing it 30 and over. Actually, if you're old enough to go to the bar, you're old enough for the old school tour. I call it 30 and over, but really, I just care that you're old enough to go to the bar at the end of the day. Um, and that's it. Yeah, we're doing it, man. That's that was the best one. That's the best one to date, probably. That's fast. Old dog tour, you know? They just want to get away from their wives for a little while. <laughs> yeah, you know, finally, so we get to the demographic of people who have the money to go and they're not scared to spend it, but then they can't get two weeks off of work. Yeah. So I'm really having a hard time, you know, finding the finding the sweet spot for the ages and for the length of the tours and all that stuff. You ever, you ever seen that triangle online? It's like if you have money and energy, but you don't have the time. If you have money and time, but you don't have the energy. <laughs> it's one of those things. Dude, I haven't seen it, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in agreement. Yeah, there's there's always a missing link. All right, Tiffany Huber, what's one of your best tour memories? Oh my gosh! Oh man, there's. Oh, let me think of a story. Man, I'm getting confused now because I'm I'm. I'm really mixing up, you know. Most of the stories I probably can't tell on coffee chatter. That's more of like, uh, dude, we're uh, we're uh, unfiltered on here. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. But come on, I gotta protect <laughs> the the innocent and the guilty. Um, man, spring breaks were always unbelievable. That when we would do the South Beach in between the two Florida nationals, um, the world trips. Actually, I just did an eight-minute throwback Thursday on my, my favorite. I don't know if it's a road trip, but it was the Sao Paulo Worlds in 06. I went with Wildman, uh, Stay Strong Marco, some other British dudes. We did four days in Rio, and then we went from there straight to the Worlds. Me and Wildman, we took the wrong plane, uh, got off on, on some crazy place. I didn't even know where it was. They had to show us on the map where we were. Um, 
So we spent four hard days in Rio. I mean, I don't think we slept. And then uh, and then we got off the plane in the wrong place. And then we barely made it back for practice at the Worlds. And then I ended up winning both classes somehow. Wildman uh, put Domingos over the turn in the semi for fourth place. So he made the main. Uh, it is the best trip, best BMX trip I probably ever had. Um, both in the good times and the results. So um, I am going to give that one the number one BMX trip award, but but there's really too many for me to even start. I'm getting confused trying to think of one. Yeah, fair enough. Right. From at BMX, how do you stay so ripped while on the road? Dude, it's all diet. I mean, I've been going to the gym since 91, man. These muscles, they know what to do. <laughs> they know what they're supposed to be like, you know? So... I don't do much anymore. I go to the gym if I'm lucky two times a week. I just, I'm on that steak diet. Man, I eat steak, eggs, avocados. Are you still on that yogurt, diet? A little meat bit of cheese. Diet? Are you still on the meat-only diet? Well, I was just giving you my diet, man. I, it's mostly meat, some eggs, um, uh, avocados, a little bit of yogurt, a little bit of cheese. Not much dairy, but but um, it's really it. Mostly meat, man, and avocados. Yeah, no and, and eggs, does that's the main things I eat. And I like so it. you don't have to do much to stay lean. You just have to eat right, yeah. you know? And that's, that's people can't put the carbs down, man. They love that shit. They love the bread. Yeah. They love the pasta. Um, you don't need it, man. You don't need that stuff in your life. Abs Get rid made, of it. Abs are made in the kitchen. Um, that's it. The Chelsea Kingston. What's the best prank that has ever been pulled on you? On me, I'm not a big prank guy, so I, I try to make it clear I don't really like pranks. Um, oh, pranks in the truck? People don't really prank me too much, man. I'm lucky in that regard, I think. Uh, I don't know. You know, there's always porta potty stuff going down. <laughs> you know, people trying to put blow-up bags, you know, through the chimney of the porta potty so it'll blow up shit on you. Um <laughs> You know, that's happened in the past. You know, that's that's probably the gnarliest one. All right. From at Augie BMX Mountain Bike, MTB. <laughs> Any good stories about riders or ex-riders being on the juice? The juice? You know, we never could, never could, um, never could nail it down. But, you know, there was always a lot of suspicion. And, uh... And I ended up at a bar with a guy called Eric Ab- Eric Ab- Eric Abadessa over here in Florida one time, and he gave me a list of dudes that I won't repeat because it's just all hearsay. But I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? What? And then I even confronted a few of them, and they're like, absolutely not. But Shocker. I don't know. You Shocker. know, anytime you got uh, uh, type A, you know, alpha ass kickers in a sport, man, people are going to try to find a way to to just get the next level. And so uh, I'm sure they're out there. I don't know. It'd probably be tough these days, the random testing and all that. But I'm sure there was a, a, a list of dudes in the back, and you know, in the old school days that were that were juicing up. But, you know, sure dude, just so, talk sure shit about me. And I, I, I've never been that buff. But I'm like, dude, I, I've been going to the gym since I went. I should look better than this. But um, so the fact that I that I could see people uh, would question me with a, with a funny eyebrow um, – kind of makes me think that people just are always going to be suspicious no matter what you know of anybody that looks good or rides well or is yeah. picking up a lot of weight or whatever at Lenny Kilgore who's your favorite Canadian BMX or not oh man uh who's what? that singer Tiffany wasn't she from Canada who 
Tiffany? Tiffany That's who? before your time. Never mind. <laughs> Celine Dion. Never mind. Uh, dude, I'm not, I'm not naming any favorites, man. I love all you guys. Oh, You're all goodness. so sweet. And um, I never met a nasty Canadian. So I, I, I give Lenny, I give the three of you guys three of my favorites. How about that? All right. And the Canadian beef, Jay Miron. I miss him. I haven't yeah. seen him in a long time. All right, from Elise will be 11. It's actually Elise post-11, but anyway. Uh, how does it feel? How do you feel about Tori's Normatex? <laughs> Look, I understand the level of sport right now. When I talk shit about Normatex, I just don't want to see him in a picture, man. You know, it ain't looking cool. Okay, Stop it. So this got go, be a, into, into, go be a track cyclist I if just you want to be lame, huh? I just got them in 2013, and so we were in Charlotte, North Carolina at Hornet's Nest for a race. I got my Normatex on the bed and recovering. Jason opens the door, walks in, looks at them, just shakes his head and sighs and walks forward. <laughs> he wanted us to come on, and he wanted us to come on tour so bad. And he's like, hey, Tori, if you come on tour, you could even bring those pants. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't, you know, I, I understand the level of the sport. I know that we're all testing and, and we're all, t- can we just, can we, I feel like everyone, pros, top amateurs we all have a duty to make bmx look as cool as possible it looks like a sport that consists of training watt bikes normatex i mean show me something cool i love the man and again it's your page you can post whatever you want on your page but i gotta look at you and your spandex on the watt bike talking about how much work you're putting in today stop it Stop it. It doesn't look cool. No, it's You know, and um, I know what you guys are all capable of, but, you know, one thing I see pretty consistently is the the guys who perform, they talk the least about their training. They post the least about their training. They're just doing it. I never saw Sam post a training video, not one time. He may have, but I didn't see it. He never talked about it. He just got shit done. I'm a big fan of just shutting up and getting it done, you know. But I know we have to promote our brand, you know, ourselves. Yeah. So, so, um, but let's, let's try to make it look cool. There it is. The real, oh, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, go, bro. <laughs> the real big hosh. What are the odds of doing a Burma Academy spin in Canada? Dude, we're going to the Milton National, so jump on that one. Oh, I forget cool. where where it originates, but it goes up to oh, I think it starts maybe at the there's a Michigan National, and then we go over to uh, Milton and do that national, and then we circle back around to Chicago. So we're going to Canada. I tried cool. to go to Whistler last year. Cool. Had zero takers. You BMX kids out there, if you haven't been to Whistler, you might never ride a BMX bike again. It's like mm-hmm. five minutes of jumping. Smooth doubles, tabletops, obstacles on a bike with suspension. The only thing that gets tired, you get arm pump, and then your face gets tired from laughing. <laughs> Dude, it's the funnest thing you can ever do on a bike if you like to jump bikes. And I put on a tour, man. Full downhill tickets, bike rental. I mean, the uh, lift tickets, bike rentals, all that stuff was included. I didn't have a single inquiry. Not one. Damn. So, you know... I put together these tours with the coolest things I can think of, what I think are cool, and people don't want to do it. And it's and I don't know if it's the money, and which is weird. I know it's expensive, but I've been comparing my prices to the mountain bike world. And so, if you go on tour with me for two weeks, it's going to cost you about fifteen hundred bucks for two weeks. That's three meals a day. It's traveling in the truck. That's uh, all the local entries and practice nights. That's most of the extra stuff we do. Um, 
if you can go on a three-night tour, not even a tour, three-night mountain bike ride in the Phoenix area where you're going to stay in a tent and it's $1,400. But that's what adults are paying for experiences, but they're not willing to pay that for an experience for their kid. I hear it from their parents all the time. They go, if I'm going to spend that kind of money, I want my kid trained. Am I trained for what? Gold cup number three? I mean, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you, what do you want out of life for this kid? You want him to have, you don't want him to have fun? You're not to have fun. Oh, fuck that. We want a nag plate, bro. <laughs> Dude, that's all they care about. It's, it's making me, um, the culture, you know, like I, I, I reposted your thing and the culture of training in, in amateurs, it's just trickled down too far where the kids want to be trained before they know how to ride their bike. And then they're all just chasing number plates and you got to give it to, you know, USA BMX, the, the marketers over there, you know, whether it's bringing the nag plates down to 20 and breaking gold cups into six regions, offering whatever they can offer. I mean, you know, watering down the meaning of the plates all along, but it's, it's bringing participation up because these people are so gung ho on chasing a number plate. And so it's like, Spend your, all your time and all your money, and at the end of the year, you get a piece of colored plastic for your handlebars. That's what you get. You know, and some experiences <laughs> along the way, too. I know there are experiences to be had chasing that stuff, and, you know, a lot of mine came from going to the races, but it's like, man, the atmosphere is just uh, it's killing the fun, in my opinion. That was a hell of a quick shot. <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot we are on that. Yeah, I forgot we are on that. I feel like I'm really boring. No, you, you, bas- anyway. you basically just did our rant also. That was pretty good. Yeah. All right, moving on. You're moving on. All right, this is the double shot question, Jason. All right, this is from at Coach Brendy. I don't know what that means, double shot. It means you got, it's kind of like a two questions in one. Two-part question, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, if you were given $10 for breakfast on the road and had to choose between Waffle House, Denny's, or IHOP, which would you pick and what would you order? Dude, you didn't have to to go past the first level. Waffle House, all day, every day, I get – uh, four eggs over medium with hash browns and grilled chicken. And then I bring my own avocado in. Delicious. And that's it. Dude, you can't beat that. You walk in, the floor's really greasy. You can moonwalk straight over to your table. And the greatest thing about the Waffle House are the employees, man. Depending on where you go, go in the deep south. Go late at night and see what you get. It's a show. It's a carnival. Not only do you get a great meal, if you ever had their chicken breast, it's marinated. Like, I don't know what they do, but it tastes fantastic. <laughs> you get the eggs, you get the hash browns, if you're doing carbs. But then the employees, they talk to each other like the customers aren't sitting there. Like, ladies missing Africa. I told him, that bitch better not show her face around here. I mean, you get a full show with your dinner, and it's no extra charge. Sounds fantastic. So, so Waffle House. Sorry for the long answer, but Waffle House all day. <laughs> At Jake Sverns, what is your rider count? Uh, I wouldn't even. I'm too much of a gentleman. I, I wouldn't even think about it in those terms. Too much of a gentleman. All right, next one. Uh, At Tanya, Tanti, Tanya. Yeah. Which do you prefer, little spoon or big spoon? Uh, well, I guess that depends if uh, if I'm spooning Tori or if I'm spooning a lady friend, right? <laughs> what if you're spooning Tori? Uh, mm, mm. I feel like he'd want to be the big spoon. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, either way, Big Spoon. I like to reach over, grab the boob, you know? So I'm, I'm Big Spoon. Or is that a little, what is that? What spoon is that? The one in the back. The one of your big, that's Big Spoon. That's Big Spoon. Okay, yeah, I'll be yeah. Big Spoon. Yeah. Right Stuff BMX. Have you ever had to kick someone off the Broom Academy bus? If so, what happened? No, I haven't, but I, I, I wanted to. These uh, people, for you can't break my things. I get very upset. So when you come on a tour, it's really, it's about good times. But I try to send these kids back home with a little better understanding of responsibility and accountability and, and the value of a dollar and how expensive things are and how thankful they should be for even being here if they didn't pay for it themselves. And I got kids in here fighting. I can see the whole truck shaking. I come in there fighting. I told him not to touch my nuts. You know, and it's just like, but you, you can't fight in my truck. You know, you can't do it. But dude, going home, getting sent home, fighting and stealing. Those two things, man, I can't take it. I can't take bullying. I'm, I'm a, I hate bullies. I get locked into YouTube bully beatdown sometimes. Some nights I turn it on. I, I just search bully beatdown. I love to watch bullies get beat up because I hate bullying, I hate fighting, and I hate stealing. So those are the things that get sent home. But it hasn't happened yet. All right. Uh, last one from uh, at MTBMXer. What's the most interesting way you've gotten a girl's phone number? Mm, interesting way. You know, I'm a pretty shy guy, so I don't get that many phone numbers. You are not a shy uh, guy. <laughs> I, I'm really the type of person, you have to throw it at me, and then I still wonder if you really like me. So, I, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not very aggressive when it comes to chasing girls at all. I pretty much have to be forced into it, or they have to come to me because I'm kind of shy so I don't know but I'm an old man now I don't need to think about that stuff anymore you just develop the pecs and they'll come <laughs> uh, yeah it's not it's not a bad idea to have nice boobs <laughs> once they're in then you show them the wild side well you know we all have a wild side <laughs> alright Jace that's all we got thanks so much for coming on it was, it was a lot of fun to talk to you well, dude, listen, I feel like I have really uh, bored the fans. I've appreciated your shows. I, I enjoy them. I love to chat. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I made any of the points I wanted to make. Uh, um, a couple of things. I know you guys always ask for uh, if people have any advice and, you know, listening to guys like Liam and, and um, if I can offer any advice to kids and their parents out there. Put fun first, at least for give it five years of fun before you start getting serious about things. Um, let the kid develop and have a good time. And I always believe skills have to come first, and it takes a long time to develop those skills. You can't just be on a training program and get those skills. It's not going to work. I know it probably get, goes against what the majority of trainers and coaches are selling you. Because um, there's a lot of them, and they're making more money than the riders are making these days, which is a shame. Um, but but um, skills first. Um, quickly, can I can I give one quick story before we go? We yeah, go time. for it. Go for it. The skills first. Just to back up my skills first, I will always use Kyle Bennett as a as a as an, an example of skills first. You know, if people didn't know out there, John Purse, who still has the record for the most double-A wins in a season 25, he was a top guy at Redline in the late 90s. World champ, ABA number one, NBL number one. Well, we used to go down and ride. At that time, it was the Jackal's yard because Jackal was Kyle Bennett's stepdad. So we'd go down, you know, mid-2000s, 
to late 90s, 95, 96, 97, you know, I was racing double A at the time, and I go down to ride with John, and we'd be doing our meathead things, whatever we do, they had a yard full of jumps, but we'd be doing our sprints, and we're doing our other things, and Kyle was just a little dude, he's like 15 at the time, maybe 16, and all he was wanted to do was manual, manual, flow, do tricks, that's all he cared about, and I'll never forget Jackal telling him, dude, what are those manuals ever going to do for you? You know, you better come and get some of this meathead stuff, who, you know, is basically what he's saying, come and do what we do, you know. What are those going to do for you? Fast forward just a few years, you know, Kyle had a skill set that was really unmatched at the time. Uh, there's a couple guys, maybe Scott Yokelet. There's a couple guys who had a, you know, a really good skill set that can manual whole rhythm sections. You know, people weren't doing that in the 90s. And fast forward a few years, and Kyle decided he wanted to be a serious racer. All he had to do was put a little power and speed in the mix. And, man, when he busted onto the scene, he was a generation ahead of, of his peers, you know, of the rest of the double A's. He turned double A in 99. I remember I was at that race in South Carolina. And, um, dude, he had the skills. All you had to do was get fast. It didn't take long at all. And then I've seen too many people try to go the other way around, and it just never works. And the example I always use for that, I hate to say it, is Dominique Daniels, man. She's so powerful. She just can never go back and get those skills. And she tried, and she's a sweet girl, and she's obviously great. She's got a lot of cups on the shelf to prove it. But she couldn't progress with the tracks, you know? The power wasn't getting it done anymore. And so, you know, I always use those two examples. So if I can give the kids any any um, words of wisdom out there, put the skills first. It's easy to do if you just have fun and you don't put a timetable on it. And uh, just enjoy the sport. And hopefully um, with that attitude, um, you know, you can put 33 years in and still be riding around having a good time like, like myself. Completely agree. Completely agree. Can't put a Formula One engine in a Honda Civic, you know? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's exactly. it. Well, I thank you guys for the time. I really do appreciate it. Big thanks to, of course, the Merlots where I'm parked here and, and John Sawyer and F-squared and Answer. If anybody's in Florida, please come out to the Daytona State Race this weekend. And I've got a clinic on Friday, so it's going to be a good time. They just rebuilt that track. So I uh, hope to see a lot of people there. And um, thanks to everybody for listening. And thanks to you guys for having me. And um, I'll keep listening, man. So you guys keep doing it. We do. I don't know what the listener, what the count is up to. But I promise you people really enjoying it, including myself. So I hope you guys stick with it. We will. Thanks a lot, Jace. Take care, buddy. It was great to talk to you. All right. Hey, I love you guys, man. Be safe. Love you too. See you love later, you buddy. See you, buddy. Bye. Jason Carnes, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend. Favorite people in the pits, honestly. Like, I just love the guy. No, honestly, every time you go to hang out with him at the Berm Academy, he's always got a smile. It's always cracking a joke. He's just, he puts people in a good mood. And, you know, you, oh, there you, go. you get in a good mood, you ride well, that's what happens, like you said, right? Yeah. As long as you have a good environment, yeah, you're always kind of trying to progress yourself with others. You, things go well. He had, like, hell of a team manager at Redline. Holy shit, did we have fun. That's so awesome. Oh my god, just like, yeah, like, it seems like, a, honestly, it seems like a lifetime ago now, mm-hmm. but me, Sam, Denzel, and Elise with Jason as a team manager, like, we would all look forward to going to the races, not even, like, he's so right, like, you remember the races and stuff, but honestly, like, the times we had, I wouldn't replace that for anything. No, I, compl- I totally get We look forward to going to the races, like, it was yeah. so much fun, and yeah. to have that, like, obviously we want to do well at the race, but just to have that is priceless, really. No, I... 
even just like you said, like thinking back to different races, different World Cups we go to, I remember the memories we made at the event doing something stupid beforehand or after, not always just the racing. So it's got a really good point. I think that's an awesome way to look at it. So many of the races, I'll be like, yeah, you know, I made the man of the World Cup, got a fifth or something or whatever. But like, dude, the after party, let me tell you. <laughs> like, fuck, those are the times you really remember, like partying with your friends around the world or just going up for coffee with your buddies or us yeah. chipping and popping doll like on the grass. Like, yeah, fucking good times. No, it's You're true. so right. Have fun. It is. I, it is hard though nowadays because the sport has changed. Like, just like they say in motocross, like things change and the training level has gone up so much that so many guys are fast that if you even want to go to these races, you have to be competitive. So if you're going there just to have fun, unfortunately, you're not going to get the opportunity to keep going after weekend after weekend. So if you don't train and do things properly or what you believe to be proper, you're not going to be fast enough to even go to these races to compete. And then you won't get to have these experiences. So it's tough that balance. Like people say, just go there and have fun. Well, if I just go there and have fun and I don't compete or don't compete well, well, then the next weekend, I'm probably not going to have enough money or I'm not going to be able to go to the next one. No, I agree. I agree. Um, you got to prepare and go, but take time to enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Like, prepare and race your balls off and take it serious, but otherwise, like, enjoy it. Like, just enjoy being in the hotel with the guys. Or, that's the advice I would give to people, too, or new elites coming up or kids. Like, take it serious. Train your ass off when you have to. Prepare. Like, tick all your boxes. But then, like, when you have a free day, go enjoy some – enjoy coffee with your buddy from Holland you never see or, I don't know, enjoy some spare time. Go get a nice ice cream cone. I love ice cream. Yeah, seriously. Like, enjoy it. Yeah. You know? Like, it's BMX isn't going to be around forever. No. You know? Like, you're not going to be elite forever. You're not going to be in the sport forever. Like, enjoy it while you can. No. Take it serious, but enjoy it. Enjoy the experiences. I think we do a pretty good job of that ourselves. We do. And even with the Canadian team, like with Adam, I always make sure we go somewhere. We go do something fun. Yeah. And I'm pretty happy with that. Like, the places we go, I, like – Sometimes I get tired of going to the same places over and over, so that part kind of sucks. But even though we go there, we're with people that we like and we have fun with, yeah. so we do something like enjoyable. Yeah. And when so. I first came into Elite, I didn't give a shit about where we were going or anything. I just wanted to succeed at racing so bad. But yeah. the last couple of years, I, I learned to have some more balance, and um, I learned that like I can still train and be successful on the track, but I can also take time to enjoy wherever I am and, yeah. and really take it all in while I can. It's tough balance, but yeah, you got to find it. You do. Yeah. You do. So um, it's kind a, of a rant. A rant is, is kind of a it's rant. It's all been a rant, really. This whole show's been a rant. <laughs> but fucking BMXers and all of, I should say, our Instagram posts. Yeah, we do it a lot. Okay, <laughs> holy crap. Like, let's put some original captions here, people, or get some original photos. Like, oh, Friday feels um, fucking sunshine and blue sky. Like, tell us a story here. Or, like, update us on something. Like, do something interesting. It's my last post, Monday mood, and then I'm just sitting on Let's the Let's do something car. interesting. Like, at least add a little bit of personality to it. This kind of adds on to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. But holy crap, we're boring as a sport on yeah. Instagram. No, like, yeah. a lot of people, we like, good posts, good photos, good videos, but, like, say something funny, say something, like, <laughs> interesting in any way possible. Please try to be entertaining. Like, do something. <laughs> be different in some way. And, like, I've tried to do that now the last couple of years is try to do something, like, more, not even entertaining, but just maybe something, like, and maybe explain what I'm doing or explain, like, something I'm going through or update some way rather than just put, like, some useless one-line caption. Yeah. I totally get that. I'm pretty – I can be called out for doing like the boring ones all the time. I do it all the time. But even I know they're boring like I said. And it's hard. It does take some work. Imagine that. Like when you're on the couch in your sweatpants not doing anything for six hours between the gym and sprints, like you can probably spend an extra five minutes to think of something. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I feel better. You feel good? Yeah, I feel better. Good. All right. 
So uh, that's kind of concludes our show. So What's we, up next so we got. Yeah, you guys yeah. are heading to Costa Rica tomorrow. Yeah, we're actually going to Costa Rica tomorrow for yes, C one race there, and then we go right over to Europe for basically two months and staying in Belgium, eh? Yeah. Uh, if anybody knows our house in Belgium, they know just how boring the place. Oh, is. Oh, it's just a yeah. <laughs> it's just a. Dungeon. It's just a hole. It's, it's a just dungeon. an old dusty hole. So a dungeon, it's old building that I mean, it's cool to have a place to go to, but old building, middle of farmland with not really any close shops to really go to there's no close coffee shop to go kick it at Just decrepit old european building uh, yeah <laughs> so that'll be fun there's about 10 of us with one bathroom so this should really <laughs> be interesting get a porta potty outside yeah, yeah. so this will, it'll be fun though we have a good team so it'll be fun and we, we're gonna we got and we got our idea for another guest next week she is gonna be our second female we haven't asked her yet second female. we've had like two females already have we? Yeah. We had Elise. Who's we had that Elise. One? We had Laura and Oh, Darryl. fuck. I forgot. Oh. Come on. Oh, bro. Okay. So, like I said, she's going to be our fourth woman on the, on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I feel like a jackass right now. That's all right. Oh, we got a fourth woman to come on the podcast next week. We hope. We're going to ask her. And if not, then just disregard this completely and yeah. we'll have someone else. We've got to find out first. Yeah. Oh, wait. Hold on. Quick public service announcement. Is there any? If there's anybody in Europe that has an extra espresso machine... They want to give up for like, I don't know, a month or so while we're in Belgium. James is seeking donation. I'm seeking donation. I'll try to like post cool pictures of art and like, yeah, I don't know. We don't have any cool coffee machine. We need an espresso machine. You do need espresso. <laughs> it's, a, it's a necessity. Yeah. So once again, thanks for listening, everyone. We enjoyed having Jason on the show. One of our favorite people yeah. in BMX. Awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed his stories. I know I did. So. Hope our new software was good on the laptop. If our voice levels weren't perfect, it's the new software people. Don't get mad. Our tech guys are really struggling lately, so we're working on hiring some new ones. Don't worry. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, guys.